0: Hey, this is Sayem Bhutani and you're listening to Chai Time Data Science, a podcast for data science enthusiasts where I interview practitioners, researchers and cagglers about their journey, experience, and talk all things about data science. Hello, and welcome to another episode of ctds.show. The show bringing you quarantine content having interviews with my machine learning heroes. In this episode, I interview senior data scientist at explore.ai Kaggle competitions master, and PhD holder in mathematical physics, Dr. Max Yiblick, Dr. Maximilian Yiblick. We talk about his transition from physics into data science. Max draws many parallels between the two and how the terms used even in his research show a really nice parallel with data science. We discuss about his experience of teaming up with the oldest Kaggle Grandmaster, Dieter Christoph Enkel. And Max shares his advices and his learnings from competing on so many Kaggle competitions and how should you you, go about uh, learning from a competition while also trying to take part in it and slowly moving up the leaderboard over time as you keep competing in these competitions. We also discuss Max's work at sr.ai. And he also shares advices around how can you balance all of these amazing things that he's contributing to work Kaggle and data science broadly speaking. For now, here's the conversation. Please enjoy the show. Hi everyone. Today I'm excited to be talking to another maker, Dr. Max Yevlik. Max, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's an honor to be on your podcast. I really it's it's an honor to be
0: talking to you. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So I'm going to talk a lot about uh, different things about your background, but I want to start about talking how you transitioned from physics and maths into data science. I believe what what was the factor driving uh, that transition for you?
1: I think there were about maybe three factors for doing so. So maybe to give you some background, I will explain what I did during my PhD. So I studied physics in Munich at Ludwig Maximilians University. And I also did my PhD in mathematical physics. And what I was looking at was the dynamical description of quantum gases. So imagine you have a metal, you cool it down to very low temperatures. Then at some point, you will observe superconductivity, which means that you don't have any resistance any longer. You may notice videos where you have a superconductor and on top of it, you have a magnet floating. Yeah. uh, Which is quite some cool phenomena. And that you can explain with quantum mechanics. So it's a quantum mechanical phenomena. And also you have the same with superfluidity, for example. So with liquid helium, you cool it down, then at some threshold, you will observe that you don't have any um, resistance any longer, so no friction. And you have a superfluid. And what I was looking at was is a so-called Bose-Einstein condensate. So you have a dilute gas of atoms you cool it down to almost absolute zero Kelvin. And what you then observe is that you get a state of matter, a so-called Bose-Einstein condensate, which means that almost all particles are in the same quantum state, which is quite amazing, I think. So it's really an interesting state of matter. And this state of matter is very fragile. So if you disturb it a little bit, you destroy the condensate. If you shine light on it, you destroy it. So what you really want to understand from a theoretical point of view is what are the properties of this condensate? When will it it collapse? When won't it collapse? So depending on the physical parameters, how will the condensate behave? And in particular, what I did, and this is interesting with Rizka to data science. So what I was looking at is an error function a loss function, and the loss function describes the relative number of particles which are not in the condensate. So if the loss function, initially you know you're in a Bose-Einstein condensate, you observe the time evolution of that gas, and you want to show if initially the loss function is small, then at some later times, under some assumptions about the physics of the system, the loss function is still small. And so, what I did to show this is that you have the loss function depending on time. You take the time derivative of that, so the gradient. get a bunch of terms, and you estimate these terms and show that these terms are small. So it's but, like. But
0: these terms uh, similar, like data science, since like we already know about gradient. Some of the audience <laughs> that is from data science. Uh, are the same terms used used in physics as well?
1: Yeah, it was very similar, actually. So. What was interesting, and this was I think a striking moment for me, is that the loss function I was using, so you have the loss function, you show it's small, then show the gradients are small, which implies that some later time the loss function will be small. And the loss function I was using, so I was reading this paper about object detection and where you detect objects with masks, and they use I'll, they, in that paper, they propose a loss function called focal loss, which they then showed I had some very nice properties with, which helped the neural network to converge better. And I realized, oh, that loss function or the, the idea behind it was very similar to the loss function I was using because I had to tweak the loss function quite a bit to be able to show that the gradients are small and the way... I used it in my PhD, it was very similar to this focal loss idea, which, which is a modification of lock loss. Okay. And this, yeah, this was amazing for me. So I saw so many parallels there. So what was I was doing on pen and paper, interestingly, to how machine learning data science and deep learning work. Because at the end, both are like optimization problems. If you cool, even if you cool down the condensate, and uh, you try to bring it to minimum energy. So that's another minimization problem. So I was working a lot with these minimization problems with the loss functions and so on. And this was one driving factor for me really to go into data science.
0: Okay. Uh, v- Bose and some cons- uh, condensate is it's it's a very volatile state, like you mentioned so w- w- were all of these theoretical calculations or did you like actually produce that condensate and then collect the data what what tools were you using for uh, all of the data analysis if i may call At it first, that
1: purely theoretical <laughs> okay so we had so munich has a laboratory which are renowned scientists and they're able to produce them, but it's really hard. So I wouldn't be able to do that. So it was really based on the theoretical uh, part on the <laughs> mathematical description of that condensate.
0: And w- were you using NumPy, Pandas, all of these libraries or was this oh, more really on the MATLAB
1: Calculations. <laughs> okay. Awesome. So, yeah, kind of different. And I think another factor which drove me into data science then, was also the, if you want to get a permanent position in academia, it's pretty hard to do so because you need to so after your PhD, you need to do two or three postdocs. You have to move around, go to different cities. You need to apply every one or two years for another position. And then there are very talented people in that field. And the number of open positions which are permanent is rather limited. So mm. you have to be willing to Go all in with that. Certainly. <laughs> so
0: you, you transitioned from your traditional path that you talked about in academia to industry. You actually uh, I think joined the startup first. You founded a startup. How was that experience? Any any good memories from that?
1: It was really amazing. So so what I did we after the PhD, I co-founded Kumbu AI. So to give you some background, Kumba is a valley near the Mount Everest. Therefore, the name comes from, and we were four people in total. So there were Christoph, aka okay, Dieter, you may know him,
0: <laughs> the retired construction uh, Kagel yeah. grandmaster.
1: Did the construction work, and then we were so we were four people in total. There were Hannes and Philip. They were all from my uh, research group, so we co-founded this together, which was quite interesting an interesting experience. And I think the key insight I had there is like, really do what you love. So we love doing Kaggle competitions. We love data science and it was really amazing to be able to transfer the knowledge you gain inside Kaggle to a customer project. So we were doing customer facing data scientist. And it was also really interesting for me to see how the businesses works. So business might come to you and say, Hey, we have some fraud from our customers. What are the measures we can reduce this fraud? So it's not about, Hey, we want a model with 0.95 AUC. <laughs> That's not their objective, but having a model with 0.95 AUC might help hmm. in solving that problem because then you can say, oh, okay. These are the drivers, uh, indicators for a person being fraudulent maybe then the company can act upon these factors so it was really interesting to being part of the cycle okay. and also to have a good really having an insight into how different companies work how, what problems they are facing what they want to solve it was really an amazing experience i would say
0: Were there any key learnings for you? For example, you also like you mentioned faced many businesses and you also need to convert the business problem into a technical problem like you mentioned. So how was that learning experience? Any uh, takeaways from that for you?
1: I think what really helped. also I think what the learnings from the PhD or from the research group had quite a lot. So as a researcher, you're being independent. So you're responsible for your own work. Hmm. This of course helps quite a lot and also being able to convey your ideas in a way such that they are understandable. That's quite important to do. So when I was at university, I was a research assistant, meaning that I gave lectures and helped the students with the exercises. And there you're in front of like 200 persons, 200 students, and need to explain your ideas, answer questions, and really try to convey your message and this helps quite a lot, I would say.
0: Okay. How how did Kaggle come into the picture? I believe you joined your first competition around two years ago with, uh, along with Dieter or maybe your second competition was with Dieter, uh, how, how did you get started on Kaggle?
1: Yeah, it was really that transition to during the PhD, Christoph or Dieter, you got really into Kaggle and into data science a lot. And he was really encouraging to start this also on Kaggle. And yeah, because like what I told you before, like these drivers, I wanted to go into data science and find this field really fascinating, drove me to Kaggle. Okay. It was really a unique experience, I would say.
0: Awesome. Uh, so today you were a competitions master uh, how was the journey from your first competition to becoming a master you worked across uh, many different competitions how has your approach uh, evolved over all of these
1: yeah, I think it evolved quite a bit uh, back then when I started so you know as I mentioned uh, this theoretical background I knew what backpropagation is I knew why well, weight initialization of the how it's done in a neural network is meaningful at this Statistical background, st- background in stochastics, and so I knew the algorithms very well. But I think the what I transitioned from is that how I approach also the Kaggle problems is how you interact with the data and how you really are hands on the data, gain insights from the data. So there are different things which I think are quite important, and. <clears throat> So one thing is, for example, understanding the data really well. So you may have a data set. Let me give you an example of cats versus, versus dogs classification. And at the beginning, I would maybe do like a train to split or a stratified split. Mm. But now, nowadays, I really go into the data and take a deep dive first. For example, with that example, you made, you might Find in your data that you have the photo of the similar pet several times. So, you're the owner of the pet, of the dog, take 10 pictures, for example. They're very, they the very obsessed with the pet. Yeah, we're obsessed with the pet. And when you do then a train says split and you don't look at the data, it might be that the pictures of the same dog appear both in train and validation set. And your setup is completely useless. And what you could then, for example, do is like, oh, maybe you want to cluster your data into groups such that pictures with similar content are in the same cluster and then split with that with respect to that cluster and always have this feedback. Or you might find that you have some tabular data and for some column, the test that distribution is completely different than in training, and then you need to think about yeah, why that's the case might be that it's um, annual data and on the test set, you're predicting on another year and something has changed in between, maybe all the data was collected has changed. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So these are a lot of considerations you take. You need to take upfront to better understand the data. Also, from there, you gain a lot of insights what you could do then possibly, what you need to take care of. understanding the data really well is crucial also what i learned a lot is of course your bag of tricks so what models work well for what competitions and also being able to maybe debug your model so it's not like a black box but when your model, model behaves strange you're able to understand oh is it because the data is strange has some interesting properties model isn't able to catch up or is your model behaving in some weird way because you made a mistake in your neural network. Things like that also like um, another thing which I learned was quite being able to have a bag of tricks and applying them in different domains. For example, coming back to this dog versus cat classification, you might use a technique called mix-up, which is quite popular nowadays. So you take 80% dog image, 20% cat image, merge them together. And the label is 80% dog and 20% cat, which means that you're doing some kind of augmentation, which then reduces overfitting and helps the model to generalize better. What you can do, for example, is that you could take this idea and think about, well, can I try it? Can I apply it maybe to Tabular data or Canada? Can I apply it to NLP? So these are things you're getting more and more confident with. And you really, so what I try really is to be creative mm. when I do caggling. And there are, so on the other thing, which really improved so these are all the modeling things, which I just described, being confident with data, being confident with the model, being confident with the hyperparameter tuning, all of these things which you gain experience, but also improve quite a lot with respect to how our code and how I set up a problem. So what, I, what is really imp- Beneficial, I think, is using, knowing your IDE very well. So I use PyCharm and when you use, when you know all of these shortcuts, you can refactor very easily. You can, workflow just improves quite a lot. Also try to use as much uh, design patterns as possible if there are beneficial, for example, using dependency injection. If you say, oh yeah, that's a good, Design pattern, I may use it, and as an example, like you want to have hmm, classify toxic comments hmm. and you come up with the idea, well, maybe it helps to add the number of exclamation marks in that comment because comments with many exclamation marks they might be more toxic on average, and maybe that's a good feature, okay. and if your setup is quite <laughs> If your setup is quite flexible, you might be able to incorporate this idea by changing like three or five lines of code. Hmm. So changing it in a data set, maybe want to normalize the distribution, then adding additional layer in your neural network, but should be doable with, let's say, five minutes. You don't want to spend like six hours trying to implement that idea. Then you can iterate very fast on different ideas and you probably will find out, oh, it doesn't help at all because the model probably will figure that out very easily. Mm -hmm. But at least you had one idea, you were able to verify whether this idea helps or not in very short time. And so this also think is very important to have some good pipeline in general
0: i was hoping you'd be in club uh, jupiter notebooks and not by jam <laughs> <laughs> but uh, coming coming to the interesting ideas you had mentioned so uh, how is how do you come up with those ideas is that intuition based or uh, over time you found out patterns and you get a rough sense of what might work better
1: yeah it's a mixture mixture i would say so what i do is like i read a lot of on the old Kaggle competitions look at the top solutions, read the posts. look, oh, what did they well? What insights did they gain? What was the key findings in the data? Because the top solutions are usually very, very creative. And what were the challenges, what were they facing? That helps quite a lot. Maybe there's also some GitHub repository with the solution, which, which you can then look into and see what was that person or that team in particular doing. This helped quite a lot. Then I also try to read as many research papers as possible or at least try to get the idea of what they are doing. And again, nowadays there's a lot of mm, transition from one idea, which was maybe first invented in computer vision or NLP to some other domain. I really try to yeah, I have maybe this bag of ideas from different domains and try to apply them in different contexts. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what competitions
0: do you enjoy the most? So you mentioned NLP computer vision, a wide variety of competitions and you've competed across a wide variety. Which ones do you enjoy?
1: Mm. So the competitions I enjoyed, I mean, basically all. <laughs> I would say so as long as the competition doesn't have any severe flaw like leakage or the data is set up in a strange way and this renders the competition somehow useless. I usually do enjoy a lot of competition because in each competition you learn something new, you learn something very particular of that so learn something of that particular data set. What are the challenges for that data set? And so I think the competition which I enjoyed most personally was the CHAMPS competition. So this was a competition where you have to predict the so-called scalar coupling constant. So that's a physical property from the geomet- geometrical infra- structure of molecules. And this competition I enjoyed a lot because first of all, it relates to what I did at mm. during my studies and was interesting for me to see how machine learning or data scientists data science in general can help in this regime which i also liked quite a lot in this competition was that one could be very creative so at the end we had some graph neural network and we used the transformer architecture known from Bert to set up a graph neural networks and to people in that competition they were quite creative with with their ideas because this was some, this was a kind of field where you when now that much literature existed. So you could try different ideas, different things out and yeah, and tried that.
0: Okay, so basically you look for interesting challenges and you uh take up the challenge whenever you see one on Kaggle. Yeah,
1: yeah, whenever a new challenge comes up at Kaggle, I'm like, Oh, that's interesting, the challenge, but I don't try to do two minute challenges at once. Okay. So just,
0: just one competition or do you have you also worked on multiple in parallel?
1: Well, I've also have done I guess multiple in, in parallel. So you try to in that case, you try to have some synergy or you may plan like the competitions have different deadlines. So you might prioritize first on the competition which ends earlier and then jump into the other competitions. So that's a thing you can do definitely.
0: Okay, and how do you balance Kaggle and work? I believe I did somewhere you enjoyed reverse surfing uh, on non pandemic days. And you also used to do some workshops I found out. Uh, so do you enjoy uh, taking a break from the tech world and going out into nature? Or how do you what's the secret to balancing everything?
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's something I think I also learned from PhD days, like, being responsible for your own work, you can, kind of, and also with Kegel, you can kind of work as much or as little as you want to. So you have to find a good balance. For example, what I do, is that we have a river wave in Munich, which is kind of unique. So you have a standing wave in a river in Munich in the center and what I do is that maybe before work, I go to, I go there, go surfing and this helps me like having energy and going back to work and being refreshed and having, being able to work there.
0: Do you know of any other rivers that have such spots for like wave surfing? Is is this similar
1: to rafting? It's so the wave is standing actually, so the wave doesn't move, and it's in some places. So I you know of Canada, there's a wave, or in Austria there's another wave. So it's popping up really, and people are getting more and more into that sport.
0: Interesting. Now. Yeah. Uh, Coming to work, uh, a conversation about work, what interesting challenges are you working on at h uh, uh, Yeah, there are
1: different things I do, I do at h which are quite interesting. So first of all, I work together with customer and prospects, and helping them getting the most out of Tribalist AI. So Tribalist AI is a platform which, where you can do automated machine learning. So as a company, you have a data set, and you want to have some insights there. And then you can use driverless AI to obtain these insights. And you might, for example, have a customer which has um, Bose-Einstein condensates in a laboratory. So he measures the states of the system of the vacuum chamber, and he wants to have some alert whenever this vacuum chamber becomes unstable and the condensate collapses and he needs to redo the experiment. So you might have a data set and the label might be temperature is ultra cold, cold, hot or critical. And he really wants to have a model in production which which alerts them when this, once the system becomes critical. And what we could then do there is discuss the different approaches to do so. So with Driverless AI, you have to bring your own recipe architecture. So, driverless works very well out of the box. But upon that, you can customize it and bring your own models, your own pre processing steps, your own metrics. And for example, we could then say, oh, yeah, in your use case, you have some classification problem, but the classes are ordered. So, when the model predicts cold and the state is ultra cold, it's less severe than the model. The model predicts uh, ultra cold and the state, the actual state is critical. So you may then may come up with a metric, for example, quadratic weighted kappa. This is a metric, you know, maybe from a Kaggle competition, you know, that's a classification metric you can use for classification problem, which takes care of the order and use that as a custom recipe. Or you might say, okay, maybe it's important for the customer that he is able to predict the label critical with high confidence. We may then transform the data into a binary classification problem, predicting whether the state is critical or not. We then look at the data together. Maybe we can do some uh, specific preprocessing steps, which are data specific, which we can then implement as a custom transformer. So this is like the way I worked also in the startup, like engaging with the customers, understanding their problems, their business objectives, and try to get most out of their data. And apart from that, I'm also working on the products themselves. So I'm currently working on some NLP uh, stuff. So we we'll stay tuned.
0: Okay. Uh, maybe maybe for a future interview, but uh, another yeah. <laughs> another thing to use rival is for a benchmark on starting out on competitions. Do you use driverless for a Yeah,
1: I mean I go take the data, upload it to rival is, then go surfing and voila. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean <laughs> usually what we do is. the company, and what I do also is that we test out driverless on old competitions, like maybe you have a competition which was one year ago and some Mm. state of the art changed and we test driverless AI on that competition data. So maybe we have new ideas, new models, for example, the bird model, which will come out in two or three weeks, which We have then the new state of art and NLP inside the product and we can test it on all competition data. Or we have transformers, new transformers test. How do they perform on all competitions? Also like, what were the key insights from that competition, which was maybe back one year ago? And can we use that insights to improve our product? So this is usually how we incorporate with Kaggle. And in general, when I do competitions, and I think there's also an advice is that I don't, what I want, what I try to do initially is that I start out on my own. Mm. I try not to look at the kernels initially. So we might have very, very good kernels from very talented people giving you a very good baseline. But for example, once you look at that kernel you may be stuck with that particular idea, idea. Yeah. And it might be hard to find a way out of that idea. So you're not starting fresh. And because of that, when I start with a competition, I usually start on my own um, try to understand the data, maybe come up with a baseline very quickly and then iterate on that. And then later on, I made my look at what is available Outside. If if I may add,
0: many people who are just starting out, it's okay for them to copy, but uh, Max really is experienced on Kaggle, so you're aiming for higher middle zones. But when you're starting out, it's okay to copy, but you also need to make sure you understand what's going on inside a kernel.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's also not wise. I mean, what I do clearly also is if you have some competition metric, which is not trivial, you implement, and there is a kernel which implements the competition metric, I may very well use that information. Yeah. So it's not that I don't look at it at all, but I try not to focus too much on one particular kernel.
0: Understood. Uh, you, you're teaming up with Grandmasters also at work. How, how do you feel about teaming up with Grandmasters at h 2
1: Yeah, it's really amazing. So the company is really amazing. and because the team which makes up the company, they're very talented people. So we have a lot of very talented persons from Kaggle. But apart from that, so the whole team I think is very, very skilled. And this kind of reminds me also back at my days at university. So the research group I was in, my advisor was very talented, very nice person. And I find that also at work, so I work a lot with Olivier. He's a very nice and very talented person. It's really a try to be able to work with him. And I think what's kind of unique also at work is that at H2O is that you have experts for a variety of fields. So you have yeah. experts for computer vision, you have experts for NLP. We have a very strong group for machine learning interpretability. You have persons for tabular data, which are really um, the world's best, I would say. And I think that's quite unique that you have this knowledge inside one company. It's it's a privilege
0: for me as well to be able to talk to many smart people like you on the (laughs) podcast and ask stupid questions to them coming to one final question, if you were to give one best advice to maybe yourself, if you were just starting out today on Kaggle or to anyone who's starting out on Kaggle, what would be one single advice you'd give them? One single advice?
1: Mm. Maybe maybe a few. (laughs) (laughs) I can give a couple of advices. I don't know if there's the most important advice I can give. It also, I think it also depends a lot about your background. So which, thing, which things do you know already, which things you may be not confident because data science and machine learning, there are a lot of lot of things you can learn. You can go in different direction it really depends on the person, what direction he or she finds interesting. So in a general advice, I would say uh, don't look too much on the, com- on the medals and on the rankings and on bad things, really try to have Joy there. And really, when you start on Kaggle, I think what's important is that you uh, try to understand what a particular idea does. For example, you're starting an NLP competition, you have this BERT model. Don't just import from Transformers, import the BERT model. Try to understand the paper, maybe, try to understand. specific aspect of it. For example, what's the attention mechanism? How it's implemented? If the attention you have a dot product, is it normalized with respect to the dimension? If so, why that's the case? Try to understand as many things as possible. You don't need to do it, don't need to understand everything from the beginning, but really try to go into the algorithms and and into how things work. Because if you have that knowledge, you can then use that knowledge and transfer it and maybe use it in another context. And also, what I already mentioned is I think it's quite important that you try to be creative. So don't just look at the highest scoring kernel and fork it and maybe change the number of faults from five to 10 and then do some blending. Because on the long term, that won't but that won't improve your skills.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So you might have an idea and that idea you have might be worse than the public kernels, but at least you tried that particular idea on your own and you may have some insights there. For example, like this currently, this tweet sentiment extraction challenge, which I didn't submit anything But I tried to, or implemented a paper, which I thought was very useful for that particular challenge. And at the end, I found out, oh, it isn't that useful. And it was kind of off topic of that competition. But I implemented the idea from the paper. I gained some insights. I learned a couple of cool new tricks. And these tricks may be beneficial for future competitions. Really, try to be creative, not try to just focus on the metric too much, like trying Indeed.
0: to get... as you build that intuition like like you mentioned, and uh, maybe you'll not land into the medals uh initially, but as you build up that intuition and skill set eventually you'll you'll find yourself up in the rankings
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Okay. Uh, now, before we end the call, Max, uh, what would be the best platforms to connect with you? you still active on Kaggle. I'll have your Kaggle profile and your LinkedIn profile linked in the show notes. Uh, any other uh, social media platforms that you'd like to mention?
1: I think Kaggle is a very good platform to connect to me. Also, LinkedIn, if you want. So, yeah, I think these two resources are quite good to reach okay. out to me.
0: Great. Max, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. And thanks for sharing all of your advices.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's been really a try for me being part of your podcast.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give it a review, or feel free to shoot me a message, you can find all of the social media links in the description. If you like the show, Please subscribe and tune in each week to Chai Time Data Science.